Hello again, and welcome to Global Exchange, part of the CJAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and Vice President of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Colin Robertson. Today's episode is from a webinar on Canada-EU relations looking forward. This webinar took place on May 19th in partnership with the Konrad Eidenhauer Stiftung and the delegation of the European Union to Canada. You'll hear a presentation from Global Affairs Canada's Chief Economist, Marie-France Paquette, and it's a presentation by the founder of Ecos Research and its CEO, Frank Graves. Marie-France, Chief Economist and Director General, Trade Analysis Bureau at Global Affairs Canada. As Chief Economist, she leads a team of analysts in reporting and advising on international trade, investment, and economic issues. Marie-France, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Colin. So let me start by uh, thanking a few people on my team. So if this is possible, it is indeed because of their great work. So Shenji Chen, Emily Yu, Kevin Jang, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people. Um, part of the information I will share with you this morning is coming from a joint report on CETA that we've done with DG Trade at the European Commission. And that report is available on our website as well. So let's start by looking at what we, where is the world now for, for Canada in terms of trade. So let's start with goods and where does the European sits. So of course, very important trading partner for Canada, right behind the United States. So United States still has the major share of our exports for goods. Um, with For 2019, uh, was about 71% for goods and services and for 2020 down to 69. So a tidbit of diversification, I would think a bit forced somehow, um, but definitely uh, still major trading partner. But the European Union is right behind uh, in terms of exports of goods and China not, uh, not so far behind the European Union. So major, major trading partner of importance for Canada. And it's the same thing on the, on the services side. Here you see a slight difference from the previous uh, map, if you will. So United States still being our number one in terms of uh, exports of services, um, but exports and imports. Um, we have European Union second, and now that we have the UK separately, they do become our third trading partner for services. And then in fourth place, you would have a China, which is still a very important trading partner. So there's no way around it. The European Union is a major trade partner for Canada going both ways for exports and imports for goods and services. So of course, uh, pandemic is still not quite behind us. Eh? There's, uh, we're doing a bit better in, in Canada, it's going better in, in some parts of Europe for sure, but we're not out of the woods uh, just yet. Um, so goods trade for Canada, both with, for the world in terms of exports and imports, we've seen massive, drastic cuts as we went into the spring, so April. Uh, so we went from about 48 billion of export to the world down to about 32 in April. So a, ma a major cut. Uh, reduction and then back up with the summer months and uh, we had a, a better summer last uh, last summer in Canada with some of the restrictions that were lifted and we've seen trade picking back up so not quite to normal let's say by August September um, but since the fall and early uh, 2021 we definitely see that things have gone back to normal in terms of trade in goods so for um, exports we're about six percent above February 2020 so that is good news 
close and for imports about 3% above February 2020. That's for the world. Now, if we look at what has happened with the EU, well, you do not see that massive reduction in both exports or imports for 2020. Okay, and so in, in the spring, as we've seen for the Canada trade with the world, you see a dip, yes. Um, the levels are not completely back up. So we're still 3.6%, uh, 6.3 uh, below February 2020, if we look at imports, but we're 3.6% above for exports. So things, things are getting back to normal in terms of good, but we definitely did not see a huge drastic uh, um, decrease in uh, um, exports and imports on the good side. Services is a bit different. So um, both for the world and for the EU in this case, we've seen major reduction in 2020 compared to 2019. So from the first quarter to second one, so drops of 34% in terms of imports of services and 23% drop of exports of services to the world. And we have the same kind of pattern for uh, the trade in services with the EU. It uh, you know went down 40% in terms of imports and a tidbit further down for Q3 and it's picking back up a bit more in Q4, but we're definitely, definitely not back to normal. So we've seen this for services trade for the world and we see it the same pattern for services with the EU. Not surprising, right? A lot of the services are related to, are impeded by the, the restrictions in Canada and in Europe. So hopefully as uh, things get better, population gets vaccinated en masse, then we can uh, hopefully see trade and services picking up. So, but what about pre-pandemic? <laughs> we tend to forget how were things on the economy side, on the economic front before the pandemic, okay? So here uh, I'm presenting the trade in goods, the evolution from 2010 to 2020. So you have numbers in uh, euros in this case, because it is coming from the joint report that I mentioned earlier that we've done with uh, the European Commission and the report is available on our website. So here you see the longer term trend. So in terms of exports, um, EU's export to Canada are kind of picking up slowly, but surely from 27 billion in 2010 to 45.9 billion in 2019. Okay, so not double, but almost. And then of course, 2020, we've seen reduction to 39 billion. So not surprising. Uh, and in terms of Canadian exports to the EU, we see steady growth, not the same rate as what we see on, on the EU side and a smaller dip. Okay, barely see a, a dip in terms of export to the EU. So in 2019, we had almost 21 billion of exports and 21 million euros, uh, billion euros. And then we're 20.1 billion in 2020. So slight reduction in terms of Canadian exports to the EU. So if we compare to the world, as I've shown uh, in the first graph, actually, we see that trade in goods with the rest of the world was affected a lot more than trading goods with um, the European Union. So this is good news for Canada. So good trade there and in services we'll see it just a bit later so in terms of different uh, types of products different goods sector um, you know here I'm putting the sectors that are uh, biggest changes if we compare 2020 to 2016 so let's say post CETA to pre CETA um, so agricultural sector we've got an increase of almost 35 percent so that's good growth um, pharmaceutical products, 44% increase, again, quite inspiring, and ores, slag, and ash, 105%. So that is major, major uh, growth over the period. We have some sectors where we've seen some, some uh, reductions. So mineral fuels, a uh, decrease of 28%, and motor vehicle and parts, a decrease of 16%. 
over the period. So if you compare 2020 to pre-CETA level to try to, to see how things have evolved over the period. And in terms of environmental goods, and these days we, uh, we really want to look at that sector as we uh, different countries have made uh, extra commitments in terms of uh, reaching climate goal uh, changes, so improvements. So how do we fare in terms of trade in environmental goods? Okay, so what you will see here is uh, trade uh, both ways in terms of different sectors. So you've got uh, pipes, tubes for recycling purposes. We see growth from 2016 to 2020. We see small reduction between, let's say, 2019 to 2020 from 526 European uh, euro in millions to 486, so small reductions, but nothing major. In uh, prefabricated building structures, we see an increase from 287 million euros to 442 in 2019, small reduction to about 400 in 2020. And energy efficiency machinery, so really um, stronger exports and trade in, in, in that sector. And again, small you know, uh, reduction for 2020, um, as we can see, 4.9 um, billion to 4.1. And measuring equipment for pollution levels, same thing. So good growth, but small reduction if you compare 2020 to 2019. So it's, it's been a good growth, but of course, 2020 is, is playing tricks on everyone. But I am confident that these sectors in particular I will see a good take up and uh, trade both ways, picking up right after um, when the pandemic is a bit behind us. So for services, um, we don't go quite yet to uh, 2020. We're still awaiting some data on the European side, uh, but we see major and significant growth rate uh, in terms of exports of services from the European U Union to Canada, basically double. 10.5 billion euros to 21.8 in 2019. Uh, as I've said, trade and services have been quite affected uh, both ways, okay, during the pandemic, but up to 2019, quite significant growth on the European side in terms of their export to Canada and for Canada to the EU, almost double. 8.2 billion euros in 2010, up to 13.8 billion in 2019. Okay, so solid growth there as well. So things look good. And I think when, uh, like I said, when the restrictions are over, we'll see these things uh, picking up even more quickly, actually, than for trading goods. So what we'd like to do is actually try to assess, you know, what does the trade agreement have to do with all of this, right? Because, you know, I've, I've talked about uh, data going back to 2010 and look at the growth rate over the period, but I haven't been specific about was this trade was affected by the trade agreement by CETA or was it not? So what you um, what I want to present now is exactly that is dutiable exports. So those are exports for which there were duties assessed over the period. So in 2016 compared to 2019 to 2020. And what do we see? OK, so if you go again 2016 to 2019, you see a, a good increase from 3.4 billion euros to 4.2 billion euros from 2016 to 2019 for Canadian export to the EU. Those are exports that are affected by duties. OK, and a slight, very slight decrease to 4.1 for 2020. So nothing major here to, to be worried about. And in terms of the European exports to Canada, we go from 9.7 billion euros to 11.1 down to 9.1 for 2020. Okay, so the pandemic here has had a slight impact, but not nothing major, nothing to be, uh, of course, concerned about. So these are products that are um, affected, okay, by uh, the trade agreement. And 
what we another way to look at it okay is to say hmm yes but not all products have been uh, affected the same way some products have seen reductions small reductions in tariffs and some products have seen major reduction in tariffs so this is our attempt here to explain the differences okay so we're looking at Canadian uh, exports to the EU and to do that we use European data in terms of imports coming from Canada, and we know what kind of tariff has been applied to these goods as they went into the European Union. Okay, so for Canadian exports, we use European imports. And what we see here is that depending on the level of the tariff reduction, we see very different percentage growth in terms of exports. So on the Canadian export side, so if you had a reduction in tariff of zero to five percentage points, we've seen 2.4% growth. If you had a tariff reduction between five and 10 percentage points, we've seen growth of almost 41%, major growth. And any uh, tariff reduction of more than 10 percentage points, we've seen growth in Canadian exports of 20%. Okay, so these are major. So it seems that, you know, when there's something big, if I can put it like that, to gain, uh, our uh, businesses do want to use those preferences. It makes sense. And that's what we want. We sign trade agreements so that our businesses can, can benefit from those uh, tariff preferences. Okay, so um, the, the biggest uh, portion is 5 to 10 percentage point reduction, where we've seen 41% uh, growth in exports. So this is major. And it's the same thing on the import side. Okay, the more tariff reduction there is, we've seen good and solid growth in terms of Canadian imports, 8.7% for small reduction, 0 to 5, 21% growth for a reduction between 5 and 10 percentage points, and more than 10 percentage point reduction, almost 25% growth. Okay, so it seems like uh, when there's something to be gained or there's an advantage to be had, uh, people want to make use of it, or do they? Hmm, or do they? So here, what we can see is that um, in terms of preference utilization, what we've done is combining uh, everything together. And we looked at 2018, 2019, 2020. So since we don't look at 27, because it's, it's not a full year of, of tariff reduction, and it's, it's a bit complicated to look at the data. Okay. So what we've seen is over the period, Canada's export to the European Union in general, so on average, the exports were using the tariff preferences in 52% of the cases. And it went up to 54% for 2019 and 57% utilization rate for 2020. So we started at a good level, 52%, and it went up to uh, 57 even in a pandemic year. Or you should say, maybe because of a pandemic year, you want every advantage you can get. Maybe that's the reason why companies are using it. Or maybe it's simply because, uh, or in big part, because of the all the training and information that's been provided to companies so that they do make good use of the preferences. And on the European side, what we see is that their export to Canada, so initially their utilization rate was only 38% in 2018, went up significantly to 48, went up again in 2020 to 56%, okay? So good growth rate in terms of utilization. But 
Should we stop there? Of course not. We can do much better than that. And if we do much better than that, of course, our companies will benefit greatly. So just to give you a sense, uh, Canada-Korea trade agreement, it's been, it's been in place for much longer. Um, in terms of uh, Canadian exports, we use the preferences in, in about 75% of the cases. Okay, so a utilization rate that's, that is much higher. And of course, in some sectors, it is indeed much higher. So this is the overall uh, average, all products, all sectors together and all countries in the European Union. So here what we see is that we kind of looked at the percent utilization by let's say uh, destination. So can in export to the EU and we see uh, there's a great uh, variance, Poland 55% and Denmark 87%. So in some countries in the European Union, it seems that those importers are filling out that paperwork a bit more than in other parts of the EU. And same thing, so for a European export to Canada coming from Austria, 48%, Lithuania, 29%, Sweden, 76%. So again, there's quite a bit of disparity here across countries. And what about sectors? What we have seen is that even for one sector, across countries, there's great differences. And one that was really, really puzzling to us at the beginning. So if you look at the first uh, two uh, columns, so what you see for Germany in the automotive sector, so chapter HS87, so we had a utilization rate of 5.2%. This is not a typo, okay, 5.2%, which is minimal hmm, for 2019. This is a sector, and this is Germany, uh, a sector that is internationally traded on a regular basis, and we're talking Germany, which is very trade intensive. So it was a real puzzle both for Canada and the EU when we saw the data coming through. But for 2020, we see a massive increase, which is great news. Again, not a typo, 53.7. So we went from 5.2 to 53.7 utilization rate for the automotive sector in Germany. Okay, so this definitely great news. And you see great uh, differences. Let's say Belgium now we're at 18% for the same sector, Finland 55 or Sweden 30, uh, 29, when the overall rate for Sweden was something like 76%. Okay, so uh, this is something that we need to uh, work uh, with our partners in the EU, work on both sides of the Atlantic to make sure, again, that companies are aware uh, and can uh, fill out the paperwork. They have what they need to do it. Now, companies have three years to claim back preferences. Okay, so it could be the case that, you know, 2021, 20, let's say pandemic is behind us, companies say, okay, now we have time, we'll, we'll see if we have all the paperwork, fill out the, the paperwork and claim back the preferences. So we could, it could be the case that for, let's say, 2019, uh, in a year or two, we get extra data, data has been modified, and the uh, utilization rate, let's say, for Germany in the automotive sector would be bigger. So that is definitely uh, a possibility. But just to see an increase that is so drastic for 2020 bodes very well. In terms of uh, uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, and we have a myriad of those in Canada, so the majority of, of, uh, uh, of them do not trade. We've got about 12% of, 11.7% of SMEs that do trade, okay? And what about the number of SMEs trading with Europe, okay? So SME exporting to the EU uh, have been affected, okay? So we had about 3,500 SMEs in February, 2020 uh, trading with Europe and went down in April exactly as, you know, uh, trading goods was affected greatly to 2,663 companies. And then we see another wave, another, you know, went back up and then back down a bit in August at 2,900. And now we're back up to 3,417. So almost pre-level pandemic. 
Okay, we're almost there. So we've seen the waves as uh, they've been, uh, you know, happening in, in trade. Uh, same thing for the, the number of SMEs. So I think the trade in goods has grown steadily and significantly between the period 2016 to 2019, with, of course, impacts in 2020. Right? It's to be expected. Preference utilization rate have continued to increase, but there is, I think, um, more to do to help our businesses to gain advantage of it. Um, and I think as we continue to roll out those efforts on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, we will be in a better position to take full advantage of CETA. I'll leave it here. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Marie-France. Frank is the founder of Ecos Research and one of the country's leading applied social researchers directing some of the largest and most challenging social research assignments conducted in Canada. For more than three decades, Ecos has held a reputation for creative and rigorous research in the areas of public policy, social policy, program evaluation, and as a leader in innovative survey techniques and methodology. Frank has published widely in academic and mainstream publications and is a frequent commentator in Canadian and American media and has directed public opinion research on behalf of the CBC, the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, and La Presse. And I can tell you, I'm a user of Frank's uh, uh, data and uh, listeners may recall that Frank uh, opened our year this year with some of his looking ahead at, at what at Canadian attitudes coming into the year. And because he's done all this work on Europe, We've got him back today to talk on Canada and Europe. Frank, take it away. Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, uh, what I want to do today is start out by just looking a bit at the question of how this once in a lifetime uh, collision of economic and health risks in the form of a pandemic has altered Canadians' outlook, uh, both on the world in general, but also on, uh, on uh, Europe in particular. And there have been some interesting shifts. Uh, give a quick look at what has been one of the most turbulent periods in Canadian public opinion, not just public opinion, behavior, attitudes, beliefs, all those things have been in tremendous flux over the uh, past 15 months. And the end is uncertain. But one of the things which has been affected very much is outlook on the world, outlook on globalization, outlook on trade, uh, and uh, the collision of things like the exposure of the fragility of uh, critical global supply chains, uh, the, the, the thickening of the borders, which resulted from unprecedented levels of risk about things that might be emanating from other countries. It's really had a profound and in some respects unexpected impacts. And I, I think the journey is not clear where we're gonna arrive. So let me just kind of go through a few things as they, particularly as they apply to the issues of trade in general and Europe in particular. Um, so just, just to get a snapshot, and this is uh, from polling just at, literally yesterday that we've rolled up, we've been polling pretty well every day since this thing arrived, uh, and the overwhelming sense of dread that the worst is still ahead of us, which had peaked uh, a month ago somewhat unexpectedly with the third wave, uh, actually is now dissipating. And what we see is that for the first time, Canadians are beginning to think that the worst is behind us. In fact, they're decisively leaning to that as they see the effects of uh, the, um, the vaccines plus uh, the, uh, the last lockdown measures. They're beginning to now imagine that, uh, you know, that this thing will be in the rear view mirror. That's affecting attitudes to things like how we should relate to other countries. For example, Canadians have been uh, stubbornly intransigent about the idea that we should open up our borders, particularly even to the United States. 
for the vast majority, even when they knew that America was on the verge of being uh, fully vaccinated, would say, no, that couldn't happen. That's very, very recently been shifting. And I, I, I think that augurs uh, well for the idea that Canadians' traditional, more open posture to the world is going to be uh, restored, albeit with some changes. Uh, and I do have some uh, evidence of how that might affect their outlook on Europe. Uh, so let's just uh, give you a sense of just what a roller coaster this has been. You can see here that the incidence of those who think that the worst is behind us, which had uh, uh, artificially rot, rate, rot rose at the onset of the third wave and then plummeted, it's now, I think, taken a more decisive turn to this thing is going to be over at some time relatively soon. Uh, there is an egregiously exaggerated sense of when that might be. Uh, Canadians who told us at the outset of the pandemic that the worst would, that this would be over in three to six months, 14 months ago, obviously those beliefs were shattered. Uh, and even still, even though they recognize that we're making uh, terrific progress on things like the vaccine, there's still a belief, which I believe is spurious, that we're looking at a year or two to restore, restore uh, full normalcy. I think that's exaggerated, but we'll see who's right. Um, so the, we did, you know, one of the things that was notable here is that I've never seen such profound behavioral shifts. Think about, and I won't go into any depth, the attempts to make people, citizens, behave more safely with respect to things like wearing seatbelts, not smoking, uh, not drinking when you're driving. Those things, uh, not, those things took decades with limited, uh, some success. In literally uh, six months, we saw Canadians going from 5% wearing masks to 95%, despite the fact that they were urged not to do so initially by uh, public health authorities. So this has really had impacts of a scale that we've never seen before. The attention now is, is focused very much on the issue of vaccine acceptance, which is predominating Canadians' outlook. We found that uh, about almost half of Canadians have had at least one shot in the dose-sparing strategy, I think, which will turn out to be quite, uh, quite a good decision. There are some very large fault lines that have been laid bare, uh, the biggest one being a residual partisan divide, which resembles those profound differences we see in the United States we're up to half of Amer American Republican males say, I'm not gonna get the vaccine, which is meaning that their efforts are running into a bit of a roadblock. Um, so in terms of outlook on the role of government and public institutions, and this differed from what we saw in the European data, there was a, first of all, Canadians which were, who were intensely polarized, uh, had effective polarization resembling not only seen in the United States which had risen for the last 30 years, it's actually been declining in Europe and Germany, for example, and other places. Uh, that relaxed its grip on the country on the onset of the pandemic, but it's once again reestablishing itself more in terms of the issues around the authenticity of the crisis and what to do about it, but more importantly in a, a, a looming debate about what comes after the pandemic, which will include basic questions about trade and our posture with respect to the external world. Uh, you can see that Trust in government, here we track Canadians and Americans, uh, dropped precipitously in lockstep in both countries. This was also true in Europe, as the era, era of deference and respect for authority was replaced by a much less compliant and skeptical outlook. In Canada, we saw this sharp jump up, jump up last year as the pandemic arrived. Interestingly, I pulled in the United States, we saw it reaching its lowest levels of trust. Uh, in, in history, that was the NADR, that was conducted just in, in advance of the American election. 
Um, I, one final note, I know that uh, Colin's following this closely. One thing that's uh, influencing things much more so than the past is the role of disinformation, not just, just misinformation, but explicitly curated disinformation emanating both as a tool of statecraft from foreign countries, but also as the opposite as a tool of anarchy within countries. And it has had a profound impact on shaping spurious beliefs, which is strongly correlated to things like whether you're gonna accept the vaccine, but also issues like the importance of climate change, uh, attitudes to immigration, uh, hostility to groups and so forth. So that's gonna be something that's gonna to continue to plague at least Canada and the United States as we move out of this. Uh, and you can see here, for example, this is a disinformation scale that we put together based on some basic questions on fluency about the pandemic. You can see that those who were relatively well-informed, which was about half of Canadians, were very accepting of a vaccine. There's all kinds of other indicators that follow this pattern as well. You can see as we move from more and more disinformed to the out, outer ring, uh, regions of disinformation, then in fact, the vast majority no longer are willing to accept the vaccine. This lines up very closely with attitudes such as trust in science, trust in government, uh, uh, belief in the uh, reality of climate change, whether you think immigration is a good or bad thing. So it really is a critical fault line and it, it, it went away for a while, but it's really re-expressed itself quite vigorously. Now let's look at more specifically how uh, impact of the pandemic on attitudes to trade and globalization. And I'll begin by saying that Canadians have had extremely positive attitudes to both of those issues, perhaps more so than other countries. As Canada closed out the last century, we really fancied ourselves the new Phoenicians that were going to be uh, extremely open to the world. Some of that was exaggerated, but what we've seen as a century has, has unfolded, even before the arrival of the pandemic, that some of the luster associated with uh, globalization and the idea that globalization and information technology would float us on an infinite cloud of prosperity ending business cycles. That's been a, a, a really uh, run into the, the reality that economic growth has stagnated in upper North America quite dramatically dropping from maybe five or six points in the last half of the 20th century to averaging maybe one point this and that hyper concentration of wealth means that a lot of people haven't seen any benefits. So that's really taken a lot of the shine off of uh, globalization, less so for trade, but let me show you. And then the pandemic arrives and let's, let's see what happens. So it, only 22% of Canadians tell us today that they hold an optimistic view of globalization, which contrasts sharply with the, uh, the majority who believe that at the close of the 20th century. One of the things that's really notable that we're gonna have to watch very closely is that there is visceral anger at China, disillusionment with the United States. The disillusionment with the United States is shifting as Canadians become much more enthusiastic of what appears to me a closer harmony between the agenda of the new uh, administration in the United States. But the impacts on how we, we look at China, uh, Europe, India, uh, and uh, the United States are uncertain. But one thing is certain, that there has been a precipitous decline in outlook on China. We'll see where that goes, but it's more than just a blip at this stage. And of course that creates a bit of a vacuum because Canadians were looking to China not that long ago as the most important source of, of, of new trade arrangements uh, uh, after the United States, which has obviously been the, had the lion's share. It's interesting that despite a lot of things which would have produced a, a more a, a closed outlook, uh, including the idea that borders should be thicker, 
that a lot of fear sources of risk are emanating from other countries. Canadians' views on immigration following the pandemic can remain overwhelmingly uh, positive. In fact, immigration has risen in importance and the degree of anti-immigrant sem sentiment just reached the lowest levels that we've seen in literally 30 years of tracking in Canada. So that's a bit of an anomaly, but an important one to, to note because it does link to the other three pillars of the you know, three-legged stool of globalization, which are trade and, and foreign investment. And uh, I think it, we're, we're gonna see, we do see some evidence that uh, attitudes to trade like immigration have not been really, there has not been the same dramatic corrosive effects we've seen on, as on things like the attitudes to globalization or China. Uh, so let me just show you uh, a few more uh, things here. You can see 52% of Canadians that in 1999 saying globalization made me feel optimistic, only 17% pessimistic. That's really turned around. You can see that it was further, further uh, damaged by the onset of the pandemic. I think this one is remarkable. If you look at the instance of Canadians who when asked, where should we be casting our law in the future in terms of strengthened trade relationships in 2011, you can see that the plurality of Canadians actually pitched China. It, it had declined a little bit uh, just in before the pandemic arrived, but you can see it's almost fallen off the radar screen with only 4% selecting that now. Where is the vacuum uh, that's being created? Of being displaced to the European Union. The European Union has more than doubled the instance of people who say that that would be really where we should be focusing in the future. Uh, the United States has seen a bit of a recovery as uh, people warm to the uh, Biden administration. The view of the American administration under Trump was unremittingly negative in Canada. Uh, the, 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 the erstwhile president had a approval rating of about 15% a sharp contrast to the 80% that the previous uh, President Obama had before he left office. India's uh, seen a somewhat of a decline. We do have done some testing about in random experiments what impacts uh, the public's outlook on the, on the, on the, on the distribution or the, uh, the release of uh, uh, novel variants from different countries. And it's clear that there is a, a, a strong ingredient of racial discrimination because when we randomly rotate UK and South Africa with India and China, we find that there's much more uh, alarm about uh, vaccine uh, viruses emanating from say Brazil and India and China than there is about the UK and South Africa. Uh, it is interesting to note that we do see a rise in none of, none of the above, which suggests there's a fair bit of uncertainty out there as, and the don't know is up as well. So Canadians are kind of casting both trying to figure where they might uh, uh, cast their lot in the future, but certainly Europe has been uh, the place which is now topping the list. This was a, an interesting question that we compared. We did some work uh, with some international uh, groups uh, looking at some of the same questions. The question was asked in the European Union and it said citizens should think twice before working, living and traveling abroad. You can see 65% of Canadians uh, agree with that, whereas only 26% of Europeans I suspect that this number is, is going to become much smaller sooner because we see a lot of the exaggerated fear and the negative emotional inertia that accompanied the uh, pandemic and our attitudes to borders is now, it looks like it could very rapidly dissipate. But that's interesting and other features are different as well. We did note that in Europe, unlike in Canada, trust in government was less positively influenced by the pandemic 
uh, a curiosity because a lot of European countries like France rely very heavily on, uh, on the role of the state, but have become increasingly wary of it. Uh, another thought though, was that we've seen in some polling again by the European uh, Council that uh, the idea that the election of, uh, of uh, Joe Biden would restore the traditional positive outlook on, 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 on America and its role as the, uh, the steward of the, the free world and so forth, that doesn't appear to have happened. Yes, there is some relief, but generally it looks like America, Europeans are looking very warily at the idea that America will resume its hyperpower status. In fact, more of them think that China is more likely to achieve that in the coming decades, and they don't want to get caught between the crosshairs, which leads Canada a little awkwardly sort of located within upper North America. And we might find that our love affair with our, 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 our new love affair with Europe may involve a little bit of unrequited love. We'll see how that develops. Just a few things uh, before I wrap up on, on specific attitudes to trade. I've mentioned that Canadians are, have really remarkably positive attitudes to international trade over the years. Uh, that wasn't always the case. We had national debates about trade in the leading, lead up to the free trade agreement in the early 90s where 70% of Canadians were opposed to free trade. That's reversed, it's the other way around now. And those attitudes have remained pretty positive. Uh, attitudes to CETA have been quite positive uh, as are attitudes to other uh, trading relationships like the USMCA and the Canada Pacific Trade uh, Partnership, uh, sorry, the, the, uh, the, the TPC rather, the Trans-Pacific Trade Partnership. Amongst those are familiar and I know that a lot of people are, the clear majorities tell us that they're optimistic. Canadians are widely supportive of, of the uh, new NAFTA too. But don't, but don't bring in, believe it will bring benefits beyond those provided by NAFTA. A uh, couple of, uh, is, good, is free trade a good thing or a bad thing? This is interesting because it was asked after the pandemic and you can see that the idea that in general free trade is a good thing actually went up, not down. Uh, based on what you know about CETA, would you say it has a positive or negative impact on Canada? This is, it, most people say, 84% say it's positive. These data, I have more recent data, which I can't release, but they are basically intact. Very, very positive outlooks on the relationship with Europe, so, and European trade. And the, uh, so that's a quick tour of where things have been evolving. Uh, will things be different? 75% of Canadians expect a broad transformation of Canadian society with a perhaps shifting of the balance of that part that we focus on the economy versus say the societal aspects, quality of life, health, and so forth. That question is going to be highly polarized across the open and order camps. There's some areas of consensus, for example, rising antipathy to China, a desire to strengthen our domestic manufacturing as a consequence of some of the fragility of global supply chains, particularly with respect to vaccines that's been laid bare. Uh, the current outlook is to thicker borders, but I've seen some really significant shifts just in the last week or two where Canadians are beginning to uh, abandon that really harsh view that the borders should be really thick. Are we gonna have a less peripatetic and open Canada? Evidence is mixed. We're looking very favorably immigration, favorably trade, but borders, people not so much. People saying we're not as likely to move or work in other countries. I suspect that's more ephemeral than permanent. Yeah, Canadians are eyeing Europe with growing favor. Uh, is that going to be a case of unrequited love? We'll see. Europe seems to be not returning to embracing the US-led world order. They're hedging their bets across China and the United States. 
ambivalent about who's going to be this next hyperpower. Uh, so yeah, an interesting mix. So I'm going to stop there. Frank, that was terrific. That's exactly what I'd hoped you would do. Once again, uh, you've delivered the goods. So thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can find the podcast in iTunes or wherever else podcasts are found. If you like the show, please remember to give us a rating. It really helps the podcast grow. You can also find the Canadian Global Affairs Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The Global Exchange is brought to you by our team at CJAI, and thanks go out to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and to Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Colin Robertson. Thanks for joining us today on The Global Exchange.